A week ago, our entire family uh, was here, and we celebrated both Thanksgiving and Christmas on the same day. Because we were all together, it doesn't happen very often. If you count, you see six grandkids. Actually, you have to look a little more closely because they're seven. Our youngest daughter, Megan, is expecting, and we rejoice with her on that. So even though I was technically on vacation this past Sunday, I still wanted to gather with God's people here at Edgewood because I love my church family. And I spent most of the first hour on the lower level where I observed smiling servants at the child check-in desk and saw the, the people serving in the nursery. Well, knowing that the doors into the children's area are locked after the service begins for security purposes, I asked if the workers could buzz me in. They kind of looked at me and they said, well, you need to be approved to get back there. (laughs) So I went to the counter and they looked me up in the system. They carefully studied my face. They ran my fingerprints, put me through a metal detector, printed my name tag, and then finally buzzed me in. Well, as I got back there, I was so impressed with the caliber of our teachers. The first classroom I visited, I observed it was a three-year-old's. Reagan LeBurge was teaching a Bible lesson with great energy, great expression, And then I spent most of my time with the first and second grade girls. Uh, This class had sent me cards in October telling me that they had been praying for all the pastors. What a delight to observe Nan Norcross and Patty Steele teaching, communicating the grace and the glory of the gospel to these young image bearers. Combined... That's Nan on the left and Patty combined. They have been teaching in children's ministry for over 100 years. Yeah, glory to God for that. They both started when they were teenagers and never stopped. I also observed Sheila Kershack, our children's ministry director, and Liesl Parks, our early childhood coordinator, make sure everything was running smoothly with big smiles on their faces. And because our children's ministry is growing, we need more people to join the team. So if you're being prompted by the Lord to jump in and serve somewhere, you have a heart to partner with parents in the evangelizing and discipling of young hearts, let us know. We'll help you get plugged in. So when I came out of that classroom, I was surprised to see the lower level hallway filled up with parents ready to pick up their kids. I looked at my watch, and I was confused, and I realized that Pastor Ed had finished preaching 15 minutes early. (laughs) And these parents were like staring at me. They're like, he let us out early. Big smile on their faces. And some of them said, I should take notes. (laughs) Well, Beth and I then came upstairs, and we sat over there, and were able to worship together. And I not only observed that Pastor Ed preached a shorter message, but he also sang a song at the end. Man, he set a very high bar. Not surprisingly, the message today won't be short, and I won't be singing a song at the end. We're beginning a brand new series. We're calling it The Promise. 
Christmas can be summarized with four words. Promises made, promises kept. A promise is an assurance that certain things will come to pass. Though I haven't been able to verify this, some have suggested there may be as many as 30,000 promises in the Bible. The Bible is full of the promises of God. And not one of them has ever been broken. Check out Psalm 145, verse 13. The Lord is faithful to all his promises, and he's loving toward all he has made. Here's how we're going to approach this series during the month of December. We'll begin each message in the book of Isaiah, and then we'll head over to the Christmas narrative and look to see how that passage, that promise in Isaiah, written 700 years before Christ, is lived out, fulfilled in that Christmas narrative. Uh, Here's where we're headed. Today, we'll focus on the theme of hope, and we'll end by looking at Simeon. Next weekend, our adult choir will be singing, and our focus there will be on the topic of peace as we look at the shepherds. The next week, joy shared. There'll be a lot of joy that weekend because our kids will be singing. And then on December 24th, we'll focus on love, the love of the Father, as he sent his son Jesus to our world, and we'll look at how Mary responded to that. Our promise today has to do with hope. It's found in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able, and let's give honor to God's word by reading our passage together. We often remind ourselves, and it's good to be be reminded, that this is no ordinary book, is it? Actually, this book is alive. That's what the book of Hebrews says. It's alive, it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it, it discerns the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. This is powerful, very powerful book. This book is inspired, it's inerrant, and we come underneath its authority now. Let's read it with reverence, but also with rejoicing. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You can be seated. God, we've seen your word with our eyes, we've heard it uh, come in through our ears, we've spoken it with our mouths, Uh, but Lord, now we are in learner role, we are in disciple role, we want to follow you, we want to understand the scriptures, so Holy Spirit, be our teacher, help us not only to understand the sense and the meaning Uh, But, Lord, we're going to look forward to how you're going to take your living and active word and apply it uh, to each of us in different ways, in different settings, in different places in life, but all for your glory. Lord, we need to be changed, and we pray now that you would use your word to do so as your Holy Spirit does his work. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Here's our main point today. No matter what happens, hold on to hope. 
Some of you really need to hear that today. You maybe even surprised yourself that you came to church today, maybe because you don't feel much hope. You look around in our culture, you look inside your own heart, but God's brought you here, and let's see what God has for us today. In Genesis chapter 12, God selected Abraham, known first as Abram, to be the grand patriarch of a special nation. He became the father of Isaac, who became the father of Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. Their families grew and turned into tribes. Benjamin and Judah settled in the south around Jerusalem. The other 10 put down roots in the north. Now, the 12 tribes were united for many years, but when King Solomon died, a rupture occurred. The 10 northern tribes split off from the two southern ones, and the northern tribes became known as the nation of Israel, and the southern tribes made up the nation of Judah. Now, it didn't take long for the 10 tribes in the north to go south figuratively. Uh, They started worshiping idols. And with that came immorality. They became increasingly depraved and they eventually, check this out, they made an alliance with Syria, a pagan country. They got together in order to attack Judah, their brothers and sisters. Well, and as you can imagine, if you lived in the south, you would be stirred up. You would be afraid. And so God raised up a prophet. He raised up multiple prophets, but he raised up the prophet Isaiah to give them a message of hope. And that message of hope is found in Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah also predicted that these northern tribes, well, they would be destroyed by the Assyrians. Now, this came to pass. The 10 northern tribes were decimated, dispersed to distant lands. Perhaps you've heard of the 10 lost tribes of Israel. It's referring to these 10 tribes in the north. This area to the north was filled with darkness. It was filled with distress, deep despair. And sometimes our culture feels like that, doesn't it? There's just so much darkness. Now, all of this is real history, but it also describes what has happened to the entire human race. God made us to have a relationship with him. We've all turned and served other gods, leaving us hopeless and helpless in the dark, if you will. Now, we get a snapshot of their situation in the society. If you go back just one verse, notice verse 22 of Isaiah 8. And they will look to the earth, but behold, here's what they see. Distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they'll be thrust into thick darkness. Well, that's kind of at this level. Let's go down a little deeper. Let's look at some of these words. The word distress speaks of extreme affliction and discomfort. The idea of gloom is dimness and despair, 
Anguish refers to restriction. It was used of water turning to ice, which was a metaphor for their frozen faith. And as a result, we read that God thrust them out into deep darkness, meaning that God banished them by driving them away. That's the bad news. I can't wait for us to hear the good news. Number one, Jesus brings us from gloom to gladness. Into a situation filled with grief and gloom, Isaiah announces a message of grace, a message of glory. Let's hear it again, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, so a while ago, years ago, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Okay, put that in your mind. We'll come back to that. Notice how this verse begins. It begins with the word but. It's making a contrast to what we had just read in the last verse of, ver- or last verse of Isaiah chapter 8. In contrast to all that darkness and despair. Zebulun and Naphtali were tribes from the north of Israel making up the land of Galilee. The territory of Zebulon was located near major trade routes. Now, the tribe of Zebulon, they did a lot of good things, but they compromised because they lived near the Canaanites, and they started taking on the culture around them, which is, we're tempted to do that all the time as well. So that's Zebulon. Naphtali, the tribe of Naphtali experienced lots of struggles in large part because of their proximity to Syria. Now, for many years, these people knew only darkness and despair. God repeatedly warned them. He called them back. He wooed them as his people, come back, come back. And then he called them to repent. He warned them of coming judgment, but the people persisted in their idolatry. They persisted in their immorality. So God sent the evil Assyrians to assault them. Now, because these tribes were the furthest north, they were the first to be attacked and then deported scattered by the Assyrians. In the middle of all this mess, Isaiah preaches the promise of future hope and healing. A time will come when great gloom will be replaced with glorious gladness, where? In Galilee of the Gentiles. You know, for the last several years, whenever I hear or say the word Christmas, I've been trying to mispronounce it. Because it reminds me that Christ came into our mess. Christmas was and is birthed in the middle of great grief. Some of you are there today. Right into the middle of deep darkness. While the angels are proclaiming peace on earth, Herod is butchering babies in Bethlehem. While Mary was worshiping, other mothers were weeping for their children. You see, Christmas joy is best understood when the mess of life is all around us. 
Gladness comes when we're grieving. Friend, no matter what's happening in your world, hold on to hope. Secondly, Jesus moves us from deep darkness to loving light. I'm in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, they've seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So while people were walking in the light, sudden, or walking in the dark, suddenly a great light appeared and it dispelled the darkness. We can't find the light on our own. So the light comes to us. Isaiah 60, verse 1 Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Now, we come to the New Testament, it's clear that Matthew had this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, written 700 years earlier in mind. Turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. I can't wait for you to see this because you're, gonna, you're about to worship. Now, when he heard that he is Jesus, that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. You ready for some spiritual goosebumps? Well, let me rephrase it. Some of you came in here doubting. And you're like, I don't know if I believe the Bible's true. Listen. This prophecy given 700 years ago was fulfilled. Check this out. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up and is in Zebulun. Capernaum, which became the headquarters of Jesus' ministry, is in the land of Naphtali. All of Jesus' disciples, except for Judas, came from Galilee. So the fact that Jesus grew up in Nazareth and lived in Capernaum is a direct fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 9. And that is clear. Notice the phrase, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Incidentally, Isaiah chapter 7 through 11 is the heart of what scholars refer to as the section of Emmanuel. Oh, watch this. The main point is that Jesus, who is Emmanuel, the son of David, is beginning the restoration of the Davidic kingdom at ground zero where God's covenant judgment had fallen seven centuries before. Are you worshiping yet? It's incredible. Promises made and promises kept. Oh, look next at verse 15. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee, of the Gentiles. It's important to note Galilee of the Gentiles was looked down upon by the Jews, especially those who lived around Jerusalem. They looked at the people who lived up north and they just saw them as like heathen hicks, if you will. That's what's behind what Nat and Nathaniel asked in John 146. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? To think the Messiah would come from this region was beyond their comprehension. In John 7, 41, they asked, is the Christ to come from Galilee? 
In John 7, 52, they answered their own questions. Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Ah, these guys hadn't read Isaiah chapter 9. Actually, the Messiah had to come from this region in order to fulfill Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. Oh, don't miss the significance of Galilee of the Gentiles. We're reminded God's heart is for the nations, for both Jew and Gentile. And we're called to take the gospel to all people everywhere. Well, notice verse 16. It applies Isaiah 9 directly to Jesus Christ. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Hey, let me point something out, and with it comes an application for us. In Isaiah chapter 9, it says the people who walked in darkness. In Matthew 4, the people dwelling in darkness. Are you aware when you start walking in darkness, it's very easy to start dwelling in darkness? You just start messing around with a few things and think, oh, nobody will know. It feels good. I want to do it. I know it isn't right, but no, I'm going to just do it anyway. You're just kind of walking around in that. Listen, there's a warning here. That walking can turn into dwelling. And all of a sudden, you're like, I'm addicted. And I don't know how to break out of this cycle. All of a sudden, you're, you're just filled with despair and you look inside your own heart and you're like, how did it become so dark? Well, it's because you started out by walking, by hanging out, by hanging around with some things. Don't miss the good news here, though. The region of Galilee that was plunged into darkness and death for so long is now going to receive the dawn of new light. Promises made and promises kept. All right, in your mind, go back to Isaiah chapter 9. Let's fast forward from there 700 years to see how that promise was kept through an encounter Simeon had with the infant Jesus. In the first part of Luke chapter 2, we read about the birth of Jesus The angels have gone back to heaven. We presume the shepherds are back with their sheep. But there's more to the Christmas narrative. Uh, Listen to verses 21 to 24. At the end of eight days, when he, Jesus, was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, there's a lot going on there. There's different aspects of the Old Testament law that are intertwined in these verses. First of all, in Genesis chapter 17, all all, uh, children, male children, were to be circumcised and given their names on the eighth day after birth. That likely took place in Bethlehem. After waiting 40 days after the birth of a son, According to Leviticus 12, mothers were to present themselves in the temple for purification. 
And Exodus 13 required that a mother and father bring their firstborn son before the Lord to be redeemed by the offering of a sacrifice. This act of worship commemorated how God spared the lives of Israel's firstborn sons when they put blood, the blood of a lamb, on their doorposts. Now, this passage gives us insight into the financial situation of Joseph and Mary. Leviticus 12 says, when a woman comes for her purification, she was to bring a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. If, however, she could not afford a lamb, she could bring two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Or two pigeons. So we know they didn't have much money. It's at this point... Simeon enters the storyline. I like how one pastor captured the scene. Mary and Joseph are there with hundreds of other moms and dads presenting their babies, and an old guy suddenly runs up to them, grabs their baby, and starts singing. (laughs) I wonder about that. How did Mary feel when this guy took her baby? Well, maybe she saw that Simeon looked harmless and Maybe she was actually okay with it because since Jesus was born, strangers were coming up to him and breaking out into worship. Simeon's name means God hears, but we don't know anything about his background. We don't know his hometown, his education, or even his occupation. Ah, We think or assume he was a priest, although the text doesn't explicitly say so. We also believe he was an old man, but we can't be certain of that either. Luke recounts the narrative. Join me in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. We learn a few things here. First, he was just and he was devout. His character and his conduct were God-honoring. He lived carefully and reverently. Notice next, he was waiting for the Messiah to come. Luke uses a word of anticipation. It means to be alert to his appearance, ready to welcome him. It's the sort of waiting which comes from deep pain. Simeon's hope was birthed out of deep hurt. Notice the next word. What's he waiting for? Consolation. Comfort. That means encouragement or comfort. Isaiah 40 verse 1 says, comfort, comfort my people. Isaiah 61 2 promises comfort to all who mourn. So he's longing for comfort. He's longing for consolation. I mean, I think of the accumulated pain and grief right here in this room. And if we could add it all up and just taste it, we'd go, we wouldn't be able to handle it. I mean, I think of the Bullock family. And Marge went to glory just a few days ago. And that funeral will be on Wednesday. And some of you have lost a loved one this year. Some of you very recently. Others of you have lost a loved one a while ago. But that pain and loss comes up, especially during this time of year. And my mom died a year ago Friday. And so I was up in Wisconsin hanging out with my dad and, and my four sisters. Simeon is putting into words, he's waiting for comfort. You look around in our culture today, there isn't much comfort. 
There's so much pain. Isaiah 61.2 promises comfort to all who mourn. Finally, he was a spirit-led man. The Holy Spirit is mentioned three times in three consecutive verses. And so somehow, Simeon was assured he would not die until he had seen the Savior. Early every morning, Simeon went to the temple, watching and waiting for Emmanuel to appear. He was keeping hope alive because he knew that one day God would keep his promise to redeem and to restore and to revive Israel. I mean, we don't know for sure, but he might have been going to the temple for months, years, maybe decades. Some of you know what that's like. You've been waiting a long, long time for something. I wonder if he was singing this Christmas song, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and do what? Ransom Israel. How how would he know him? What would he look like? I wonder if each time a young couple came into the temple, he whispered to himself like, is this the one? His anticipation was no doubt intense. And suddenly, Simeon's heart leaps within him. The long days of waiting were finally over. Look at verse 28. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said. Now, at this precise point, Simeon was like Pastor Ed and broke out into a song. It actually is a song. In Latin, it's called the nunc dimittis, which is Latin for let your servant depart. This song begins on a note of jubilation, like a Jewish wedding. Everyone's excited, but it quickly changes tone and mood. This song ends with a note of extreme agony, like one would experience at a funeral. But I do picture him with a huge grin on his face as he started his salvation song. Verse 29, Lord, now, like right now, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Simeon knew the scriptures because that refrain is filled with references to the Old Testament. Oh, would you observe, he sees God as sovereign, the word Lord, the title Lord, he sees himself as servant. That's a lesson we all need to learn. And the song he sings picks up the inspired promise found in Isaiah 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them has light shone. Notice verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Promises made and promises kept. Simeon was now ready to die. That word now is an announcement, a declaration that a dramatic change has occurred. The word depart has multiple meanings. It referred to the release of a prisoner, untying a ship and setting it to sail, to take down a tent. But it was also a military word used to describe a sentinel who stood watch 
through the dark night. He was on duty to protect. And he stood watch during those long hours. And he was especially tasked with finding the rising of a special star in the deep darkness. And when he spotted the star, he knew his work was done. And he would be dismissed by his commanding officer. Having seen the light of the world, Simeon knows it's time for him to depart in peace. That same peace the angels had promised to the shepherds, that's our theme next weekend. Brothers and sisters, no matter what happens, no matter what's happening in your life right now, hold on to hope. Isaiah's 700-year-old prophecy was now fulfilled. Hope had come, and he was holding him in his arms Jesus had fulfilled Simeon's bucket list, and now he's ready to kick the bucket. Come on, that was funnier than you responded. Now, notice what Simeon says about Jesus. First, he delivers, verse 30, my eyes have seen your salvation. To see Jesus is to see God's salvation. And would you know, this salvation is for all people He came to shine the light of God into every nation, every tribe, every tongue. And Simeon's words explode narrow nationalism because the gospel is global in its scope. But would you also notice it's for God's people? In the last part of verse 32, for the glory of your people, Israel. So in this baby, Simeon sees the fulfillment of all the hopes, all the fears, of all the years, echoed by Jewish people across the centuries. Ah, but here's where the song takes a more of a somber note. He also divides. After hearing Simeon's salvation song, Joseph and Mary respond in verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. Don't you wish you'd marvel more about what God has done and is doing? I do. I mean, I don't want to approach this Christmas season just going through the motions, being sucked in by our culture, just going, yeah, I know the story, and not being phased by it. It says his father and his mother marveled. To marvel means to wonder, to be struck with astonishment. I think of the lines of the Christmas carol, I wonder as I wander out under the sky, that Jesus, my Savior, did come for to die for poor, ornery people like you and like I. Ah, but their marveling was going to be filled with some misery. Their praise would be intermingled with pain. Simeon gives a final word of warning, and now he's looking at Mary that dark days are coming. And after singing, Simeon preached a short sermon directly directed right to Mary, and he uses three vivid images. The first is a stone. Verse 34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Jesus will cause some to fall on their faces, and others will rise because of their faith. 
Now, this phrase comes right from Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense, a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. Some will stumble over Christ and be crushed by him. Others will rise to new life. Friends, settle this. We will fall on Christ in faith and be broken or will live apart from Christ and be crushed by him on the day of judgment. It's impossible to be neutral about the Savior. You are either for him or you're against him. When you die, you will go to heaven if you've been born again, or you will go to hell if you haven't been. The second image is sign. Look at the last part of verse 34, first part of verse, or last part of verse 35 as well. And for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Jesus is going to reveal the hearts, that what thoughts that people have, and people are going to oppose him. They're going to push back. They're going to attack him. Just read the Gospels for that. We see that in our culture today, don't we? Where Christianity is being attacked, where God's word is being belittled. And finally, the sword. Simeon speaks of a dark, the dark shadow of the cross which falls over Christmas in the first part of verse 35. And Mary, a sword will pierce through your own soul also as she watches her son up on the cross becoming payment for all of our sins. It all happened exactly as Simeon had predicted. Above the cradle stands the cross, and behind the cross is the crown. And after singing his salvation song, Simeon disappears. Now, before we wrap up, what can we learn from the lyrics to his song? Let me suggest, number one, be in the right place to hear from God. Simeon was in the temple at the right time. Joseph and Mary and their son were in the place of worship as well. Parents, make sure you're in the habit of making sure you and your family are in the right place by gathering in God's place every week. Oh, and if you're ready to serve in the nursery, you could be like Simeon and hold some babies as long as you follow our security protocols. (laughs) Number two, and this becomes very personal, Don't give up. I talked to someone recently who just said, I'm done. I'm just done. I don't want anything to do with God anymore. I'm just done. It's too hard. It's too painful. I'm done. Maybe you haven't said it, but maybe you're thinking something like that today. Don't give up hope. Hold on to the one who's holding on to you. The Lord comes to those who are longing. He loves to bring grace to those living with gloom. Keep watching. Keep waiting because when God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. Lamentations 3.25, the Lord is good to those who wait for him. Some of you have been waiting a long time. No matter what happens, hold on to hope. And number three, you're not ready to die until you receive salvation from the Savior. When Simeon took the infant Jesus in his arms, he said, Lord, now I'm ready to go home.
Now I can die in peace. You're not ready to die until you've received Jesus and trusted him as your savior. Listen, if you come to the end and you've never received the salvation that Jesus offers, you've basically wasted your years upon this earth and you'll spend eternity apart from God. Simeon took Jesus personally in his arms. And so you too must personally receive Jesus. John 1.12 says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me say it like this. If you want to hope again, make sure you're born again. Now our world is dark. And perhaps when you look inside, your own soul feels dark. Because the deepest darkness resides inside each of us. Maybe today you're tired of dwelling like that. If so, it's time to repent, to turn from that and believe that Jesus died in your place and he rose again on the third day and received the light of the world into your life. And if you're ready to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, you too can experience hope. I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and perhaps you're ready to settle this right now that Jesus died for you and you want to be born again, let me suggest a prayer that you could pray along with me quietly. Jesus, I'm tired of dwelling in the dark. I confess that because of my sinfulness, I've actually just been stumbling through life. I repent of how I've been living. Thank you for coming down into our world, for dying on the cross as my substitute, as full and final payment for all of my sins, and for rising again on the third day, showing that you have conquered death, you've conquered depravity. Lord, you've conquered darkness. So I ask you, Jesus, to come into my life. I surrender fully and completely to you. I trust you for my salvation. Save me from my sins. Be my savior. Give me what I need to live under your lordship and leadership for the rest of my life. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.